Amen. Let's clap to our Lord today, church. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. So good to get to meet some of you uh, who are new. Welcome this morning. All right, I got a question starting right off for you. How are you guys doing today? Are you okay? Come on, really? How are you doing? Are you thankful for the reckless, relentless, pursuing love of Jesus? Amen, right? Wow, what an incredible song. What an incredible song. So I asked you that question twice. How are you doing? How are you doing? And, I, and, I, and I, that's a sincere question. How are you doing? You know, a lot of times when we come into church for worship, we gather together. A lot of times what happens is we, uh, we put on one of these. That's a little creepy, isn't it, right? <laughs> big plastic smile, big kind of fake smile. We're pretty, we're pretty good at putting on these. These are uh, notorious for being put on in church parking lots. Amen, right? When people come in, you can ask people how you're doing. You've been fighting the whole way to church or fighting all week, or you've had just a terrible, difficult, rough week, and then you come in, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, you know, I'm great. And, you know, back whenever uh, Hope and I felt led to plant a church in this community about 18 years ago, one of the things that we really wanted to see happen in this church that is personal core values for us, born out of some brokenness and some other experiences that we had in some churches, um, is this core value of authenticity, it being real, being real. Not, not, that we're, I mean, not that other churches aren't. I'm just saying that it's a place where you can come and you can take this thing off, take it off. We don't, God doesn't want you to wear this anyway. He knows what's going on inside. Take that thing off, come in, and be who, who you really are, not having to put on a show, not having to put on false pretenses, acting a certain way. Come in with the bumps, the bruises, the baggage that we all have. We all have it in one way or another. And come in, and, and really what God really wants is he wants to meet with the real you, right? He, he loves the real you. He's pursuing the real you. But so often we put those things on and we miss out so much on what God wants to do in our lives. And so a core value of our church, and if you're new, I want you to understand this, a core value is authenticity, being real. It's something that we're thankful when we asked that last year to a group of people that we were like, is that something that we're portraying to people? And that came up regularly and I was very relieved to know that that was a big part of our church. You see, we're so much as a culture into external appearances. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we really, we really like to put up a, a certain facade or, or we don't want people to think a certain way about it, so we will work hard at the, 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 the facade. Uh, we live in a culture where it is said that image is what? Everything. Image is everything. And so we can, you know, kind of put this show on or put this uh, face on or this mask because we got to portray a certain image. And uh, this really kind of comes out. I know you're familiar with this. And uh, the first service, I don't know if they're a little older group or what, but they weren't familiar with what I'm about to talk about. Okay. I had to, m most of them weren't. I had to explain it to them. But the selfie, okay? All right. Most of you do selfies, or maybe some of you do. I know the younger generation's really into selfies. And, uh, but uh, I have a distant uh, relative who, she's a young lady. She's a beautiful young lady. And most of the time, her face looks normal 
until she goes, and about 99% of the time, normal face, until she takes the selfie, and then all of a sudden, something happens to her face, and she distorts her face, and her lips that are normally not real big and poofy out, they go out real like big, like, and it's called duck lips, okay? You guys seen it? Or duck face or, or whatever. And she does this and we're like, well, that's not even who we know. What are you doing? Why do you do that? Okay. And how many of you know what duck face is? Duck lips? Okay. A lot of you do. Okay. If you didn't, and I had to explain it to the first service, so you guys are ahead. It's kind of like this. Okay. This is something yeah, that's, it's the, <laughs> the poofy lips. All right. I, I guess it's to look like a model or whatever. Even, even celebrities do it, okay? There's, there's Biebs there doing his duck face, all right? Even babies are doing it, okay, all right? <laughs> babies, I mean, they got, and look at that, and that, that's as cute as can be, right? Image is everything, and uh, it's some kind of image, and I got to thinking this week, I got to thinking, y'all know I'm kind of sick, right? If you know me in my mind, and I got to thinking, what if on our staff webpage, what if instead of just normal images of our pictures, what if, our, what if our pastoral staff, what if we were doing duck face stuff? And so I was like, what do you guys think? And so anyhow, here's what, here's what we came up with. And uh, Kyle sees it probably more than anybody. He works with teenagers, and so he kind of gets it. Or, or what about this, Dustin? <laughs> Dustin works with children. Dustin just looks psycho. I'm just saying that. That's, that's not pouty. Danny, Danny did probably the best of all of us. Danny looks like he's been putting time out, doesn't he? He's pouting, all right? Randy? Randy just looks crazy, I don't know, or whatever. And uh, now we have, yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, we have the coolest business administrator I have ever known, Karen Schwager. Look at Karen. Karen is rolling, okay? And then she took it to a whole new level. She went Hollywood on me, and I was like, I was kind of working at this. It's harder than it looks, all right, all right? And I, I, mean, I was working that, and I was like, that's terrible. My daughter was like, no, Daddy, no, that's terrible. So I was like, well, what if I use Pringles, okay? <laughs> Pringles, uh, duck, duck face or whatever, okay? And so images, we live in this mentality where image is everything, and that's the thing is it's like, what, I don't get that. But when I hear image is everything, I'm a Gen Xer. If you're a Gen Xer, you probably think of the guy who said image is everything. You recall that? Andre Agassi. Remember Agassi? Great tennis player. One of the greatest, arguably, maybe ever. Okay? It was incredible. Uh, and that is one sweet mullet, you must agree, right? Okay? All right? And, uh, I mean, he was one of the greatest of all times. He was the rebel tennis player, typical of my generation, right? And, and, and he was revolutionizing kind of the image in tennis, which was all stuffy and all this. And he goes to Wimbledon, where you're supposed to wear all white, and he wears denim shorts, right? You didn't do that. Of course, he got called out and he was bucking the system and, and all this. In fact, even, even the, the canon rebel became his brand and he endorsed that. Do y'all remember this ad? I think we have the ad. Show it. What is the image of a rebel? These are the images of a rebel. Canon's autofocus EOS Rebel S with built-in flash. Image is everything. EOS Rebel S from Canon. So advanced, it's simple. Image is, say it with me, what? And that's, that's our culture. Our image is everything. Do y'all remember that ad? Okay. And, and image is everything. That was his brand or whatever. Now that haircut right there, um, I, 
I had a haircut like that at one point. I don't know if you realize this. I know you're trying to envision that. I did not have a Photoshop done on this. I, I did have, I had, when I had hair, I went and I got my hair done like that in the back where I had this cool mullet with, these, uh, with a perm and it even kind of, it was kind of blonde a little bit. You're trying to envision right now, aren't you? Some of you are being traumatized at this very moment, aren't you, by what you're seeing, okay? I came home from my barber shop, all right? And, and my dad saw that, who was in the first service, and my dad made me go back and get it cut off, all right? I was so mad at him because I wanted to look like Andre Agassi, right? But I said in the last service, Thank you, Dad. Okay, thanks. Thanks for watching out for me. Image is everything. Image, the outside external image was everything about Andre Agassi. That was his whole brand. All right, now I learned something this week that was shocking to me. Do you realize that that lion mane mullet was a wig? I know I said the same thing. Some knew this, but this was a wig. He wore it to hide his baldness, and I find that offensive. I'm just letting you know, okay? He revealed this in an article, never knew this, a few years ago. He said this, every morning I would get up and find another piece of my identity on the pillow, in the wash basin, down the plug hole. And, and so in the 1990 French Open, all right, he's in the finals, in the Grand Slam finals here of this tournament, and I'm quoting him, then a fiasco happened. Uh, the evening before the match, I stood under the shower and felt my wig suddenly fall apart. Probably I used the wrong hair rinse. I panicked and I called my brother Philly into the room and he said, it's a total disaster when Phil came in and he, and, and he looked at it and Phil said, I, I can fix that. Just give me about 20 clips. I'll fix that. You're okay. Settle down. It's all good. All right. And, and, and he said, you know, do, do you think this is going to hold? And, and Phil said, just don't move so much. He said, I'm playing in the French Open. Do you think it's going to hold? And, and, and he said, now this is what he said. Of course, I could have played without my hairpiece, but what would all the journalists have written if they knew that all the time I was really wearing a wig? During the warming up training before play, I prayed, not for victory, but that my hairpiece would not fall off. With each leap, I imagine it falling into the sand and I imagine millions of spectators moving closer to their TV sets, their eyes widening and in dozens of dialects and languages all over the world asking, why is Andre Agassi's hair falling off? Why is it falling off? He goes on and he lost that match. He lost that match, the French Open title against Andres Gomez, who was a far inferior opponent and uh, he was from Ecuador there, and he said that this, he said he truly believes he was so distracted about what was happening with his external appearance, his image being everything, being his brand, what he'd been portraying to everyone else, he was so concerned, he really believes that that's the reason that he couldn't focus and win that match that he should have won. Now, here's his, here's his current image, all right? All right, there's his current, his bald is beautiful. He looks free, doesn't he? He looks like a happy man. Bald men are happy men, right? I'm just saying that right now. He's not worried about that. And all my bald brothers said, amen. Oh, that was weak. All right, come on. 
They're not, I'm not happy, right? Uh, but, but, but right after he decided to lose the wig and he went bald, he wins the Australian Open, and it wasn't long after that he becomes the world number one for a long time and becomes one of the best. Isn't it interesting, right? If we're honest, this external image, whether you would do it that way or, I mean, we, I mean it's, uh, there's multi-billion dollar industries that are predicated upon us keeping our images up. External image is so much. But here's the thing about external image, okay? If that's what you're really all about, where it is everything, keeping up an image is exhausting. If you're taking some notes, here's some things. It's exhausting. And Agassiz would write that in his book, how he was just worn out trying to keep up a certain image. And not only is it exhausting, but it can really be embarrassing because at some point or another, you're probably going to be exposed. Something's going to come forth as to the real you. And if it's not just embarrassing, it's certainly for many people is enslaving, where you just feel like you're trapped in, you're locked into this image that you are trying to protect, right? And true healing in our lives and freedom and what we're talking about is happiness won't happen until you actually, you come clean about some areas that maybe you've been trying to portray. But here's the, the other part of it. It's empty. It's an empty way of life in portraying this. It doesn't lead us into happiness that we think we'll obtain based upon impressing other people, right? Because everything about us oftentimes is fake. Even our relationships can become fake because they're based upon this image that we are trying to betray, and then maybe those around us are fake with us too because they don't feel like they can be real. So they put these masks on. We put masks on, and there's no real depth to relationships that we're supposed to have. And this sounds all opposite of what we've been talking about in this series called Happiness Is. Happiness Is. We've been looking at, now the world says it's this certain image or it's this certain thing or it's found in money or it's found in this or it's found in what we do. And, and, and Jesus comes along, right? And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking to a group of people who this image is everything mentality had even bled over into their spiritual life. And it can do that for us. Where, where we're not real even about our spiritual walk and we've got to put on the mask or we don't want people to really know the real us. And so Jesus is going to give this incredible message, the best message, message sermon ever preached on this hillside in Galilee. And people were coming to him. They were hungry for something fresh and new and something real in their life because they were being oppressed by this religious weight and these religious masks that they felt like they had to keep up. And so he's looking, talking to these people, and they had tried to find happiness in what the world has to offer. They were empty. They were exhausted. Jesus would say things like looking out upon the crowds, he would see this, that they looked helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And these people were very religious. But even in the religious image they were seeking to keep up, it was exhausting, it was empty, it was embarrassing, it was enslaving, it was all of these certain things. So he makes some radical statements as he begins to speak to this group of people who were seeking true happiness. He makes some statements that are really upside down. They were scandalous even, so to speak, okay? What he would say, Jesus is going to give what are called the Beatitudes, and we've been breaking these down. Remember that word just simply means to be deeply blessed, and that word blessed is the word that means what, church? Happy. 
Happy are. And he would say something following that, okay? And so Jesus starts with where we're so focused on the external and the outside and outside actions and the way we look and what others see. Jesus starts on the inside. He starts with the heart. But even before Jesus even gave this great sermon, God would address this over and over again throughout Scripture, how what God is really looking for is the real you. What God is really chasing after is not some image that you're trying to portray or that you're trying to falsify or trying to get other people to accept. What God is really concerned with is your heart. What's going on inside of you? And let me give you an example in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 7. Now, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 here in just a minute. But in 1 Samuel 16, um, Saul is the king of Israel at this time. And he looks like the king, but he's a terrible king. And his heart was not right. And, and he looked like a king because he was good looking. He was tall and head and shoulders, scripture says, above everyone else. And so Samuel is going to anoint who the next king would be. And he's like, well, how do I know him when I see him? And God says this to him, all right? But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his, say it with me, church, what? Appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about I've rejected Saul, this one who has this appearance of a king. The Lord doesn't see the thing, see things the way you see them. Now read the next part with me out loud. Let's say it out loud together. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, God looks at our hearts. Jesus starts with the inside. God's not into our appearances. He's not into our achievements. He's not into our accomplishments. I mean, he's, he's happy to see that happen. He's not into our acquisitions, the things that we can buy or whatever to make us look a certain way. He doesn't care how popular we are. He doesn't care how famous we become. He's not impressed with that. He's not impressed with the amount of, of, of letters behind your name and degrees. Those things don't impress God. What he really cares about is your spiritual health. And to be spiritually healthy, what he really cares about is your heart. He cares about what's going on. What God really is chasing after is he's chasing after the real you. That's what God wants. That's what God is pursuing in you with that reckless love we just sang, sang about. So Jesus addresses these people who were all into religious appearances. Man, they knew how to put on the religious show. And he says these things that are upside down to them. They had spiritual pride. They were proud of their religious uh, nature that they were so good at putting on the show all the time, putting on the mask, the religious mask, and Jesus comes along and he says this, happy are not the prideful, happy are the poor in spirit. And he turns it upside down. Remember, he's saying happy is the poor in spirit. Those that realize, I don't have it all together. I need God. I need a Savior. I'm tired of pretending. Happy are those, he says, who mourn, those that mourn their sin, those that mourn the brokenness of sin, what is done to our world, what is done. He says, they shall be comforted. Why? Because they find forgiveness. They find grace. And they're going to be comforted because we know that Jesus is doing his redeeming work on this world. And one day in this brokenness where all this bad stuff happens, Jesus is going to set the record straight and there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears. He said, they shall be comforted. And then he says, happy are the meek. 
See, God starts doing something on the inside of us, and now all of a sudden we become meek. Meek does not mean weak. Remember, it means we're under control, a powerful, powerful being, but it's under control of the master. It's not reckless in our sense that we're, we're wrecking everybody with what we say, and, we, you know, and we're harsh with people. No, remember, it's gentleness. God begins to do this transformation within our hearts. And then he says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You start hungering and thirsting for right relationship with God. He's giving us these keys to being truly happy. And it's so opposite of what we would think it would be. It's upside down from what the world says it would be. Now we get to the next tenet of true lasting happiness. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, I want to invite you to say it with me out loud. And where you see the word blessed, remember it translates happy. So let's, let's use that word there, okay? So let's say it out loud together. Say it with me. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall, they will see God. Now you need to know, again, these are scandalous things that Jesus is saying. People are like, what? What are you talking about? The, they will do What? Happy are the pure in heart, they shall see God. This was a shocking statement. They will see God. I mean, if you were a good Jew, you understood this. Nobody got to see God. Only the high priest would go into the temple one time a year. You didn't get to see God. Moses only got to catch a glimpse of the trail of his glory. And now Jesus is coming along and saying, no, the pure in heart will see him. The pure in heart will see God. What's Jesus talking about? Let's just unpack this a little bit. Where he says pure in heart, there are a couple of meanings here. The word in the original language is uh, katharos here, which is where we get our word cathartic. It's cleansing. There's a cleansing work. Those with a cleansed heart, not by their own self-effort. This is what God's salvation he provides does for us, right? And that happens by first being poor in spirit and mourning our sin and realizing we're broken and needing a Savior. Not that we have it together. We need a Savior in our life. And he says, happy are you when that happens, okay? When that begins to happen, people who have an internal scrubbing of God, he scrubs our, our, our hearts he makes us white. He, he declares us righteous, right? This is what the scripture says God does for us when we place our faith in Jesus. It's not by our self-effort. He takes the penalty for our sin. So what is Jesus talking about when he says pure, this, this cleansed heart, all right? This pure in heart. He's talking about this kind of cleansed heart, but here's the second part of what he means by this. Those who have integrity, that word, it has something to do with integrity, singleness of heart. You're not divided. There's not a duplicity within you, all right? Happy, he says, are the pure, the pure in heart. You're not deluded in the sense of, of like you're, you're watered down. You're the real deal, okay? And now the, it's, so it's integrity. It's, a, it's an internal scrubbing that God does through his grace. And now he says, happy are the pure of heart heart. Right now, what is he talking about here? Are we talking about this? Is he saying that our actual heart, the organ, is that what he's getting at? No, this in the Hebrew world had to do with the, our, our mind. It's the center of our being. It, it, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the organ that's pumping blood. That's why we say this. We've been impacted by the Hebrew culture in this and that we say, I love you with all of my, all my heart. 
We don't say, I love you with all of my spleen. I tried this on Hope this week. I said, babe, I love you with all my gallbladder. I'm just letting you know right now. It didn't work. I'm just letting you know, all right? She was like, what? I was just testing it out. It doesn't work. No, it's, it's those who are pure in, in their heart, pure in their, in their heart here. They shall, and this is big, okay? You got to catch this. They shall see God. Now, when you read it in the English there, it sounds like it's a one-time deal. But in the original language, here's what it literally means. They shall continually, parentally, uh, they shall be seeing God. It's ongoing, continuous action. I love that. When you understand what it really is, it's not a one-time event. It's, it, God is saying this, that those who are pure in heart, here's what he's saying. I'm close to those people. I walk with those people day in and day out. A pure in heart person, when we kind of put that all together, is a person who's been cleansed in his character, internal, by God's grace. And the way he looks in public is the way he is in private. It's those whose hearts are pure. They're the ones who get up close to God. They're the ones who, who experience the presence of God in their everyday life. They're the ones who experience power of God. They see him at work in their life on a regular basis. They're the ones who experience the peace of God. It doesn't mean that they don't go through hard times. It just means they have something that the rest of the world oftentimes is missing and doesn't have. They have the peace of God. They're the ones that get the pardon of God. And they experience the forgiveness of God. They're friends with God. They're friends with God. They're truly, Jesus is saying, happy ones. You want to know how to be happy? He says, be pure in heart. Be pure in heart. Jesus is saying, God's not impressed with your image. He wants the real you. And this leads to true happiness. And it's derived in authenticity. It's derived in, in integrity. And God deeply blesses that kind of person. God blesses people who are the real deal. They're not fakes. They're the real deal doesn't mean they're sinless. We all blow it. We're all going to mess up. It just means this. It's a person. It doesn't mean a person who is perfect. It doesn't mean you, you can't make mistakes. It just means this, that what people see is what they get. The pure in heart. If you have to be sinless to have integrity, then we're hopeless on this one because we're all going to blow it, right? We all mess up. Noah had integrity, but we know that he messed up. David had integrity, but we know that he messed up, right? This guy messed up, but he was a man after God's own heart. Job had it. Moses had it. Abraham had it. Paul had it. So what is it? If you're taking some notes, here's some things to write down. Integrity is this. Here's what it, here's what it means. It's, it's wholeness. We get our word integrity from the word integer. And I'm not a math guy, but I know we've got math people in here. And that, from what I understand, means whole numbers. Not fractions. Am I right? Help me out. Okay, all right. Thank you, teachers. Um, it's, it's not fractions. Here's what this means. Your life isn't categorized. It's not compartmentalized. A lot of times we have this view of our lives as, okay, here's my family life. Here's my social life. Here's my, my spiritual life. Here's my church life. Here's my sex life. Here's my secret life. And I don't want people to really know because I got to wear this. 
And what God says is, no, your life is not made up that way. And if you're trying to live that way, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's enslaving. It's all this, what he's saying. No, I want the real you. Your life is not all these different parts of the pie. It's wholeness. Your life is the filling in the pie, right? It's that. And he says, so it's wholeness. And, and, and integrity is not that part of the pie. It's the filling. It means you're exactly the same with everybody you talk to, no matter which part of your life you're dealing with. You don't change. You don't wear the mask. When people see you, and I know that we appreciate this when we know a person like this. They appreciate when they see what, and they say it. What you see is what you get with that guy. Sometimes it may be ugly, <laughs> right? But you know you're what you're dealing with. You know exactly what you're dealing It's wholeness. Here's the other part of it. It's authentic. It's authentic. It's authenticity. You're the real deal. You're not a phony. You're not, you're not living with the fake it till you make it mantra, right, that some of us will live with. You're not a pretender, poser, whatever you want to fill in the blank with there. You're not trying to be someone else. You just are you. And you come to a place of being comfortable with that. And if you have integrity, you act the same no matter where you are. It means I act the same with you that I would with my kids. It means I act the same up here that I do when I'm in my home. It means I act the same with you if I were talking with a celebrity that I would talk to you in the same manner that there's no preferential treatment or whatever. And it's what you see is what you get. And back during this time when Jesus was teaching, okay, uh, they would have plays. And in the play, they would use these different masks. I used to have one of these. And, and a guy would play many roles. And he would put a mask on. And he would put that mask on and play a certain role. And then he would go change and use another mask. And he'd play the same role. And that was called the hypocritos. It's where we get our word hypocrite. It's hypocrite. One pretending to be something he's not. Well, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? It means you're not the same with everybody. It means you're different. Depending upon who you're around, what your group is that you're in, you'll talk one way with one group and very differently with another. You use this kind of language with certain people that you're around and you know, you know how to do the church speak. You know, over here when you're at work, this is how we talk. You know, there's, there, and, that, and what Jesus is saying is there's a lack of integrity there. You're wearing multiple masks to fit whatever circumstance you find yourself in. You're a chameleon. You're a shapeshifter whatever you want to say there. Hypocrisy is the exact opposite of integrity. And, and, and when we lack authenticity, when we're duplicitous, where we're, there's two different kinds of things going on, here's the third thing integrity is. It's genuine motivation. Your motives are pure. This means you do the right thing and you do the right thing for the right reason. See, you can do the right thing Many of you, maybe you did this today. You did the right thing. You're in church. You're here to worship. But your heart can be far from God, right? You can go through the motions and do all the spiritual rituals, the spiritual religious stuff, and your heart could still be far from God. Your motives pure. Like, for instance, uh, this has happened to me before. If you get asked to pray in public, there's a moment for some of us that that's terrifying, all right? But when you pray in public, a lot of times what many of us will think is, what am I going to say? And in that mindset, what are we often thinking of? 
what are people who are listening to my prayer, what are they going to think? And I've done that before. I got asked to speak at the city council. I got asked to speak or, or, or to pray at that or, or over where, you know, important people are. I, got, I usually get asked to pray because I'm the pastor, right? And there have been times where I've realized when I finished a prayer, I never spoke to God. I was, I was using flowery words to be sure that maybe people around me thought, that guy knows how to pray. That's hypocritical. But see, listen to what Jesus would go on and say in Matthew chapter 6 in the same Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that, that this is all the reward they will ever get. And I've had to repent in those times and realize I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to God, okay? Hypocrites know how to follow rules. They know how to go through the motions of rituals. They know how to do the, the church thing. But here's what Jesus would say. These people honor me with their lips, the external, but their hearts are far from me. He's talking about the internal there. Their hearts are, are, and so Jesus would call out hypocrisy regularly. Matthew 23, let me just take you through this really quick. Uh, Matthew 23, starting in verse 2. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. In other words, they know their stuff. They know what's going on, right? So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. Those people were, were under the yoke of religion. They crush people with that, those demands. They never lift a finger to ease the burden. In other words, they don't show mercy. He goes on and he says this, everything they do is for show. It's an impure motive. So what sorrow awaits if you skip down to verse 23? Now Jesus is going to get kind of angry a little bit. And he's going to pronounce what are called woes. And these woes are just, they're, they're full of, of truth. And they're full of, he's calling out this hypocrisy. And there's, there's a righteous indignation. What sorrow, that's a woe. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Look at what he says. Hypocrites. You need to know when Jesus said this, those people who are standing around and those, those hypocrites that were there, the, those people who stood around were like, did he just say that? He just said what we've been wanting to say. He just called out that hypocrisy. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. We've got to tithe on our rosemary and our thyme and all this. Okay, they were doing this. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, what does he say next? We talked about that last week. Mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes. He's saying, not, he's saying be generous. Be a giver to God. But do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And then he dropped the mic. Boom, right there. What did he just say? Can you say that to these guys? He did. And they started plotting his murder. But we're super religious. But let's murder him. 
You see the hypocrisy? <laughs> Such hypocrisy. What sorrow awaits you guys, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. They were so concerned with this, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He's saying, let's deal with the inside before we start worrying about the outside. And see, we get it the other way around. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity, not a pure heart, impurity, lack of integrity, pure, impure motives. I mean, he calls it out. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. But he says, on the inside, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were plotting his murder. What Jesus was saying is that God is looking for people, and he's close to people with pure hearts. Their hearts have been cleansed by Jesus, and then as a response to the cleansing by God's grace, they live with integrity and response. They love him with their lives. They worship him by the way that they live. Our culture says image is everything. God says integrity is everything. Integrity is everything. That's what he's really interested in. We're interested in reputation. That's what other people think we are. God is interested in character. That's what you really are. We're interested in what others think. And the outside, God blesses a person, Jesus said, who's been cleansed by the forgiveness of Christ and in response lives with a heart of integrity. And he says this, those people, he said, they're going to be happy. They're going to be really close to me. They're going to experience me every day of their life. They're going to see me at work in their life. They're going to be close to me. And conversely, look at how he feels about the heart that lacks integrity. Proverbs eleven twenty. just quickly. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts. Crooked hearts. But he delights in those with integrity. He delights in that. I was reading this and I was like, I want God to delight in me. I want him to delight in me. I want God to delight in you. I want God to delight in Eagles View Church. Amen, right? That God delights in this church. And it's so evident and clear how God feels about hypocrisy when you see and you look at the life of Jesus. And what you will find is that Jesus was so tender and compassionate when people were outcasts, when people were sinners. When people were broken, when people, when all the religious wanted to cast stones and kill the sexually immoral, Jesus protected them. And, and Jesus would, would step into their world and be merciful and compassionate and loving. And then you want to see an angry Jesus? Get him around some religious hypocrites. Remember, anger is not sin. He would get angry. 
He would get angry and he would flip tables over and he would call them out. He would do these kinds of things, right? So, so, these, so integrity, how do we, how do we, what are the benefits of it? Just quickly, let me give you some things. Benefits of it is if you walk with integrity, here's what you're going to have. You're going to have some personal confidence. You know why? You're going to walk with integrity because you're not going to have to figure out when you wake up today who you are today. You just are who you are. You don't have to figure out which mask you're supposed to wear today. You walk with integrity. The people around you, they know who you really are, right? They know what they're dealing with. You're able to even relax, and you don't have to be uptight. You can just be who you are. We want you to come to church and be who you are. We want you to come in and relax in the presence of the Lord. I had a lady who was in the last service, and she's a friend of mine, and it was her first time to come here, and she was so nervous coming today. It's her first time to come, and she said, I'm so nervous, and I just said, relax. Relax in the, in the presence of the Lord today. Relax around these people. They're good people. They're just everyday people. They don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. None of us do. Let's just take this thing off, and let's get real before God. You're going to have personal confidence Right? You don't have to think about how to spin your story or, or what lie you have to cover up or what you have to tell next. You have confidence. Proverbs 9, 10, 9 says, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. And that's what we're often fearful of when we're wearing masks. We're afraid, I'm going to be found out. I'm going to be exposed. And then it's going to be embarrassing. All right? Have you ever... How about this? Have you ever, you can just be the real you. Have you ever, okay, or whatever it is, you've dialed your phone, you didn't intend to dial, and then the, you dialed someone's number is, what have I been saying, right? Have I been Pastor Bart? Or have I been Road Rage Bart? I've got a story about that, but I don't have time to tell it, and you'll have to find out later uh, where Road Rage Bart showed up, okay? And God, okay, I can't tell the story, okay? All right. I'm pretty sure God said, I'm putting you on pocket now, all right? And uh, if you're a person of integrity, you don't have to worry about what you said, all right? Here's the other thing. You have a lasting legacy. All the money, all the stuff you're chasing after, all these things we go after so hard, the trophies, the accomplishments, all that, that doesn't, that, that doesn't matter to our kids. But you know what matters more than anything and what they will remember and what your grandkids will remember is were you a man or woman of integrity, right? Look at this. Your integrity is an investment in their lives. It goes beyond the money. The money will be gone someday. The trophies will get boxed up and thrown in the trash and taken to the dump. Sorry, but they will at some point. But your integrity is an investment in their life. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their, happy are their children who follow them. A man of integrity, a woman of integrity. Here's the other thing that you're going to benefit from. When you're a person of integrity, God sees it and you're rewarded by him. God rewards faithfulness. He rewards when you do the right thing. When no one else is watching, God is watching. God sees the small things. When you decide to do them, even though it's difficult, God rewards that. In one story in Matthew 25, 21, it says this. As Jesus is telling a story about how God sees and rewards faithfulness in the small things. 
The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. You didn't cut corners. You did the right thing. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's have a party. And he celebrates that. It's in the small moments that we really we show integrity, right? It's in the small moments. Every time you reject that temptation and nobody would have found out, but you decided to reject it and do the right thing because you're more interested in pleasing God than pleasing and putting on an image for others. So how do we begin to flesh this out practically? The benefits of having it are incredible. You have confidence. You have a lasting legacy. You're going to be rewarded by God one day in eternity. It's not how you get to heaven, but God rewards us in eternity for that. King David David gives us some ways to test an assessment. Let's just wrap it up with us assessing ourselves by what the Word of God says. Shall we do an assessment? Let's look at this. How about just quickly the areas we're struggling in? Here's what we do. We confess it to God. Because I'm just going to warn you, this gets up in your business pretty quick. Don't accuse me of stomping on your toes. God's word did, okay? Because whenever I went through this this week, I went, wow, I have some work to do. And I realized that. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? In other words, hill, in other words, Who gets to be close to you? Who gets to see you? Those who lead blameless. That doesn't mean perfect. It's a a word that, that speaks of integrity, okay? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. Integrity. Speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbor or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. In other words, they're generous and not greedy. Such people will stand firm forever. They walk with confidence. They stand firm. So personal integrity checklist. Check this out for yourself. Number one, do you keep your promises? Are you a person of your word? What would your coworkers say? Do you keep your word? Do you show up when you say you'll show up? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Do you keep your promises? Did you see he said, even when it hurts, maybe the circumstances change, but you made a promise, but no, I made a promise. I'm a man of my word. I'm a woman of my word. Do you keep your promises? Here's a question. What would your kids say? Would your kids say that you keep your promises? Do you know one of the number one reasons that children become embittered is because of a failure of parents to keep promises they made? Do you keep your promises? Do you keep your promises to your spouse? If you're not, then David says it's an integrity issue. God wants you to be right with him. He wants you to be close. Here's the next thing. Do a test. How are you doing there? How are you doing there? Do you handle your finances with integrity? Do you pay your bills? Do you have a greedy heart? The way we use our money is a true, oftentimes a true test of integrity. Do you pay people what you owe them? Do you get yourself into debts that you can't repay? That's an integrity issue. What about generosity? Are you generous Or are you greedy? Psalms 37, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous, what? Givers. 
Do you rob God in his tithe and his offerings? Do you give your first and your best? Do you have a greedy heart that just says, no, this is all mine. I keep it for myself. You see, you can usually tie greed into a lack of integrity because we will so often compromise because of our love for money. Number three, how are you doing there? Do you gossip about others? Do you have relational integrity? That was financial integrity. Do you have relational? David says it's an integrity issue. Do you butter, butter people up and you, you make them think a certain way and then when you get away, you just dog them out and talk bad about them but behind their backs? You go behind and you, he says it's an integrity issue, right? I told you these get up in our business, don't they, right? It's an integrity thing. A gossip won't be happy because they lack integrity. Can you keep a secret or do you have to say, listen, all right, this is just between us, right? Okay. And then what does that person do? All right, I got to tell you something. This is just between us. And then what does that person do? Listen, this is just between us. This is convicting. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. How are you doing there? Do you have a big mouth? told you these are these are strong david takes it strong to the hoop last one right here here's the last one are you glad amen <laughs> right okay do you do your best at work do you work hard do you have vocational integrity are you a slacker when nobody is watching do you do you work hard even if the boss isn't around and they're off that day do you give your best do you earn your 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 paycheck are you taking supplies home with you? Nobody will notice, you know, or whatever. Are you, are you taking extra minutes on your lunch break? We've all blown it, right, in these areas. But as a follower of Christ, we're called to be people of integrity, especially where we work, because oftentimes that's the biggest mission field you'll ever be on, right? It's the biggest place for us to witness about being a believer, are those places where we work. Last passage of Scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. He says, the slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Okay? Now, I know we're not talking about slavery here today, but th there's application for those who are over us. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely. Now, watch this. Because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Here's what he's saying. Your real CEO is Jesus. As a believer, that's who you really work for. That's who you serve. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is, everyone say it with me, who? It's Christ. So how are you doing at work? How are you doing relationally? With your mouth, do you have integrity with what you say? How about your promises? Are you keeping your promises? I mean, these are, these are great self-assessments. You can't get any more practical, church, than this. How are you doing in these areas? And I don't know about you, but I do know me. And I realized, as I said a moment ago, that I've got work to do. And there were some things I needed to repent of and some things I needed to tell the Lord I was sorry about. And you know what I'm so thankful for? We sang it right before I got up to speak. The reckless, relentless, pursuing love and grace of Jesus Christ. And even when we blow it, and we all do, he still loves us. And you want to be pure in heart. And you want to be happy.
truly happy. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, those who come clean before me and take this junk off. So let's do that right now, okay? Let's just bow our heads before the Lord at this very moment. And let's just strip off the veneer and let's just come just quietly before the Lord and know that you have a loving Savior. And let's just first thank him that he loves us enough to correct us when we need it and that he never stops pursuing us. Happy are the pure in heart for they will be close to God every single day. You see, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, now we don't have to have a high priest to see God. Jesus is our high priest. We have direct access to the God of the universe. Just thank him in your heart for that right now. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your savior. Poor in spirit. Lord, I need a savior today. I place my faith in you, Jesus. Happy are those who mourn their sin. I need you to forgive me of my sin. See, the way that we become a person of integrity is we, we care more about what God thinks than what people think. Maybe you've cared more about the image. Maybe you've cared more about what other people think. And this morning you realize, you know what? I just want to come clean with you, God. He is a God of second chances and many chances. He is a God of grace. He is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of fresh starts. You need a fresh start. Lord, I'm coming clean with you right now. I don't want my life to be compartmentalized. I want to be this whole person of integrity. Make that your prayer. I want the mask off. I want to be authentic. I want to see you day in and day out in my life. I want this true happiness that you speak of, Lord. It's not contingent upon my circumstances. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. We abandon our hearts before you right now, Lord. We come in honesty before you. We seek you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just invite you right now as we close just to, just to stay alone with the Lord, but let's stand up before him. As we stand before God, listen to the words of this song. Sing the words of this song. Don't sing to others. Remember, we are worshiping the Lord God. Sing it to him today. Make this your response.